summer series and what we've been talking about to give you the things I think you need as we're getting ready, really not just for summer, but to prepare for the fall. We talked about in the first week about that uh, as believers, our job is to go fishing. Our job is to go find those people who need to know what we know. Melanie talked about it. I talked about it two weeks ago, even in talking last week with Dan about Honduras. That's why we're there, because there's kids that need to know that somebody is chasing after them. Somebody cares. And this week, I want to give you some fishing wisdom, some how-tos, some what you need to think about, what to look for. What do I even say? Because let's be honest, and I want some response. Online, you guys can raise your little emoji hand. But my question is, if I asked you right now and introduced you to a new, a new person, and we'll just make it easy, a person of the same sex, and said to you, share your faith. If we're honest, how many of you would have no idea where to start? You wouldn't even really, like, uh, uh, you get a case of the uhs. Oh, come on, really? All right. Then who wants to go right now? Really? Y'all are sweating. If I put you in front of somebody, could you honestly look me in the eye and say, I know exactly what I'd say? If you can, kudos, because I challenge you to be able to tell your testimony, your story, in 30 minutes. I mean, 30 minutes, 30 seconds. Some of y'all long-winded, it'd take you 30 minutes. But we don't know even what to say. And I want to give you some wisdom on how to do things the right way. Because how many of you know there's, there's wrong way to do things? Have you ever been taking, like, maybe little kids, I said this the other day, you take some little kids fishing. They make it infinitely more challenging, right? I was talking about Jamie Hendricks, little boy Henry. And we went fishing with him. I think Jamie's out there in the foyer. And <laughs> We took Henry fishing, and we look over just in time to see the whole rod and reel go flying out into the pond. That didn't, that didn't help us catch fish. So there's, there's ways to go about this, ways to go about talking to people. There's a wise way, and there's a wrong way. Look what the Bible says. We're, this is what we're hanging our hat on here in Matthew chapter 4. It says, one day Jesus is walking along the sea. He's talking, he finds the disciples, the people who would become disciples, throwing a net because they fish for a living. In verse 19, Jesus says, hey, come follow me, and I will. And then he says, I will, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get you doing something you're not currently doing. They were currently fishing for fish. Jesus says in the next verse, he goes, I'm going to show you how to fish for people. I'm going to show you how to teach people what I've done for you and talk about it. So I'm going to give you some wisdom because the Bible says that, that wisdom leads us, guides us. Look what the Bible talks in Proverbs chapter 11. It says, the fruit of a righteous is a tree of life. So there ought to be fruit coming off our life that brings people life, that they can see it on us, just like you could see an apple hanging on a tree. And it says, the one who is wise saves lives, goes after people, finds people that God brings along your path. Colossians says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. So you're going to have chances. You may have a chance when you leave today and you go sit down in Chilitos and you're about to dive into that big plate of nachos and you see somebody you haven't seen walk up, seen them in months and they walk up to say hello. You just might have a chance to go fishing. Yet we don't think of it that way. Paul goes on in Colossians and says, let your conversations be full of grace 
seasoned, and he uses this word a lot in the New Testament, seasoned with salt. In other words, you're the, you got to be able to share something that's palatable with people. They, they got to like it. Anybody have a picky eater? Your husband, your spouse, your wife, your kids? I, I was not a picky eater. My mom and dad put it in front of me, and if I didn't like it, I didn't eat. So that salt, when you get hungry enough, it solves the picky eater real quick. But God's telling us in this, you've got to give people something that's palatable. You heard me say a couple weeks ago when we were talking about evangelists, that when we say evangelists, a lot of us think about guys standing on the street, on the street corner screaming at people. Tell them how terrible they are and how, how you're all going to hell and you're worthless and you're miserable and you're just you're maybe telling them things that are true. But sometimes saying truth in that way is not always helpful. It's not the way you don't season it with grace and mercy. And he says so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's that you have thing you have to make it taste good. You have to read the room. We pick on Mabel, my, my now 14-year-old. Like she come, she'll walk into the, into the living room and Mel and I are talking or we're in the middle of something and she wants to tell us what's on her mind. And we're telling her, hey, read the room. Like, we're talking. We're in a conversation. Or, you know, it's like that person who, who pops into a, a room where it's obviously somber, maybe something serious is going on and they're trying to crack a joke. Like, come on, man, read the room. It's not quite appropriate. See, we have to make it so that people, people want to eat what we're serving, what we're giving them. So this morning, I'm going to give you three things that we need to use wisdom on. And the first one is we need to be wise in our moments. You are going to have, whether you believe this or not, I truly believe this. God is going to intersect your life with people and I believe a lot of those moments are divine moments that God ordained. There's, there's moments all through the Bible where God crossed two people's paths because he, he intended for one to be able to do something, serve the other, or minister to the other, or just maybe offer hope to the other. So I don't think everything that we do is just by chance. So I encourage you today, from today forward, when you get up in the morning, ask God, okay, God, who am I going to meet today? Or maybe even better yet, you get in line at, at food line and the lady in front of you has got two and a half buggies full and the first four items she gets don't have price tags and the next four items she doesn't want and the next four items she needs more of and you just, it gets, gets worse and worse. Instead of wanting to tell her some words that might not be appropriate, ask yourself, God, am I here for a reason? Or behind somebody who's trying to figure out how to pay for the groceries that they have, ask yourself, am I here for a reason? And I'm not saying you need to pay for the groceries. I'm just saying that we ask God, we open, open our ears to listen. I don't know if you realize this or not, but depending on which number you look at, there are between eight and eight and a half billion people on the earth. You're going to bump into some, somewhere. Even in a small community, small county like ours, it's hard to really go anywhere where you're not going to bump into people. Some of us who hunt have even been out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. 
You get out to your favorite spot, and who's sitting there? Some person that's not supposed to be. But you're in the middle of nowhere. God's going to bring you across people, and there's some that are divine. The Bible actually says that our steps are ordered by God. Look what Psalms 37 says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, he's directing you. And I love this last line. And he, notice he is capitalized, was talking about God, delights in his way. His way, lowercase h. In other words, do you know God gets excited when you're doing what he's asked you to do? When he's late? I, I believe personally that one of the things that puts a smile on God's face is not just salvation. When people get saved, the Bible says heaven throws a party. But I personally believe that when one of us actually steps out what God's asking us to do or we recognize this divine intersection that God's brought us to with somebody and we just offer them hope. Hey, you're, man, your day's going to get better. It's going to be okay. Can I pray for you? Hey, here's, you know, let me pay for your gas. Let me buy your coffee, whatever it is. I think God, is, this verse is God. And he delights in his way. I think that puts a smile on God's face when he sees us realizing that we're here to fish. Proverbs 16 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines your steps. I think for me, and I can't say this, I would not say this for everybody, but God in my life never really gives me much direction outside of six months ahead of my life, maybe even three because God, know, God knows in me that if he gives me something, hey, in two years, and 10 years, you're going to be doing this, and this is kind of where I'm leading you. I'm not waiting two years. Like, my personality is if you want me to go there, let's go tomorrow. But that's not the steps of God. God says, I determine your steps. So if God puts some, someone or put people in your life, it means some things in our moments. It does, let, me, let me give you these. One, you need to be intentional. Don't let those moments go by. Be intentional. Show up. On, let's see, Tuesday, everybody say off for July 4th. On Wednesday, you go back to work. It's like a Monday in the middle of the week, right? Nobody's happy to be at work, but why don't you go to work happy? Why don't you go to work, swing by, get some donuts, some coffee, some stuff for, you know, and just hey, I just wanted to make your day good. I just wanted to be intentional and show people that, that there's a God who cares. Pay attention. Ask God again. I've encountered these people. God, am I, am I here for a reason? The second thing is this. Add value. Again, show up with donuts. Show up with breakfast. Show up and add something positive into the situation. Add God into the day. People want to be valued. People want to, to feel value, and they, it's a basic need. You know, the, there was a guy, if, you, if, you, if you've studied psychology at all, you've, you've understood and read about the guy Pavlov. Pavlov didn't just do dogs. He, did, he basically categorized all of our basic needs, and it ends up now that they have eight. And there's these eight needs, really, if you break down our human drive, the idea is, this is why we do what we do. We work, we go, our basic drive is to, to eat, to have shelter, those basic needs. Well, you can break these down into three groups. And you can use these three groups to see, well, how do I add value to people? The first group is psychological needs. I'm sorry, psychosocial, psychological. These are needs that 
this is safety, food, shelter. I got to eat basic. I got to live. I have a need, whether you know or not, to, to breathe. And there's something inside you that says, take a breath. Take a breath. When you go to sleep, you don't have to wake up every few minutes and go, oh, take a breath. There's something inside you that God created us to breathe, to keep you alive. The next section is love and affection needs. You, whether you like it or not, or agree or not, you might want to spend your time more alone, but there's still something within you that says, I need to be loved and I need to be known. I want to know somebody cares, and I want to know somebody knows who I am, that, that I exist. Then there's the third one, and they found out that actually this third group is probably the most powerful in our lives, and that's these fulfillment needs. That actually our highest need in life is to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, is to be a part of a group that's doing something bigger than ourselves. And here's the truth that the world's figuring out because they just added this one in the last, I think, 30 years. And that's that the one who created you is the one who gave you, is the only one that can, that can bring that fulfillment. The one who created you is the one who can help you find that. That's why we say that we want you to know God, meet your Savior, find freedom, get rid of your past, let the past be the past, discover your purpose, why God puts you here, and then the fourth one is make a difference. That's being fulfilled, being part of something that's bigger than just you. That's why we, we have these drives, and especially if you're like me, was raised competitive, playing sports, and you want to be a part of a team. You want to be a part of something, even the guys that work in first responders and fire department and police and EMS, that there is something in them that wants to be a part of this bigger team that's doing something good. And God put that in, in us. Paul even says this, that I put you here to be a part of it. God put us here to be a part. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, hey, I plant the seed. I'm, I'm telling them, hey, there's this God who loves you. Apollos watered, but it was God who made it grow. See, we, we have this idea that I have to be everything. And there are people who are good at that. They can take people from point A to Z, from unsaved to serving God, but that's not everybody. See, when we go fishing, part of our, part of our fishing is, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel this person in and just get them to show up to come to church. I'm going to reel them in and, and just hang out with them for a while. And then we'll get them in church, and then maybe somebody else will come in and, and begin to tell them about a God who really who wants to forgive their mess and who wants to love them. And then maybe they hear a message one day and they decide to, to raise their hand at the end and, and give their life to Jesus and, and change a little bit. But Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God made it grow. That we're part of this process. That's why when you walk out of the building and you look at the back of the sign out there and it, we use the hashtag one step, that's our vision. That's, what we, that's everything we want to do. We want to help people take one step from where they are one step closer to where God wants them to be. And I consider it a victory if we help people do that. Maybe online this morning or maybe in the room, somebody's one step that I consider a major victory is you showed up. You clicked. I'll watch these people. I'll listen. That may be for you today. God asks nothing else of you than just show up. Let me just show you who I am. 
And then maybe down the road, it's okay, now do you want to take another step? Maybe, maybe you need to, to, to meet Jesus. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to ask for, you know, God, for healing or something in your life that we take one step. So the first thing is we need to be wise in our moments. The second thing is we need to be wise in our manners. This is exactly what you think it is. Anybody's mom, dad, when you get out of the car, going to, going to visit so-and-so, what do they tell you? Clint, mind your manners. May have said P's and Q's, may have said various other silly things we say in the South, but what they're telling you is, don't embarrass me. Right? My girls, when we get out, go to get out of a car, I say, girls, remember, and they will both at the same time huff, roll their eyes. We know, be obedient. Yes. You got it. Okay. But there's a reason. See, how you treat people matters. Matter of fact, it can make or break one of these divine moments God has put in front of you. The Bible actually does say a good bit about manners if you, if you read through it. That it can make you a very effective fisherman or it can make you a very ineffective. Again, you have to offer things that are palatable. You have to offer things to people that, hey, I can, I can swallow that. I've often said here, I'm appreciative and glad and honored that you are all here. But you know what? I would be so excited if I had every seat full and nobody in the room knew Jesus. That we have a church that's not really built to let you punch your Sunday card and make you feel better. But I believe a church that's built that you can come and receive, but it's built so you can bring somebody and sit beside you that doesn't know Jesus. And they can take it. They're not being made to feel like I need to go out there and get cleaned up. Matter of fact, if you've been around before, you've heard me say this. I don't get really, really angry about much. But if you really want to get me angry and a holy, righteous anger as a pastor, is let me find out somebody is telling people out there that they need to get life right before they come in here. That is not the gospel. And it is not palatable. We don't, people don't want to be told, you, you know, it's, it's you stink, you smell funny, you look funny, you did this, you smoked this, you said this. Because how many of us would be here sitting today, even watching online, if I said to you, before you come, you got to be perfect. There wouldn't be nobody here but the Holy Spirit. None of us. And so part of our manners is beginning to, to tell people, hey, let me tell you why I'm here. I love the way this reads. This is out of the paraphrase, the message version. He paraphrases this, this verse in Matthew 5. He says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be, and here's that word again, salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. Yes, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been saved, the world, people should look at you and they should see something that says, there's fruit of God on this guy's life, or this girl's life. That we can do that. There's no doubt in my mind that all of us in here can if we'll pay attention. He says, he goes on to say, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. 
It's supposed to be taste good. It's supposed to, I'm supposed to look at you and feel like I don't want to run. I don't need to get away from you because you're, you're trying to condemn me. If you flip over to the, the uh, modern translation, the New Living, Te- New Living Translation, it says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out so that what? Say this with me. For all, come on, say it with me. For all to see it. And when people see it, look what happens. They're going to start noticing God. So that people will praise your heavenly father. They're going to say, hey, I see this in you. And I don't know, I used to know you when you were in high school. And there must be a God because you're not that same person. I've said this to people. Hey, I'm not great now, but you should have seen me a year ago. I was even worse. But God's brought me along. God did this. I didn't do this. There are some of you sitting here that go, yep, that's me. I'm here. I'm not perfect, but I'm here. God's brought me along. You don't have to be perfect, but you just have to be willing to go, okay, God, I'm going fishing. And I put this on the screen because I want you to get this, that your imperfection is not a cop-out. I get that all the time. Clint, I can't go, I can't, I can't go to Honduras and maybe talk to those kids and love on them and tell them about Jesus. I just, I don't know how. I'm shy. I'm this. I'm that. I have all these imperfections. I have all these issues. Have you ever read anything about the disciples? They all got issues. And for you guys, if you think you don't have issue, there's your issue. The disciples were they're terrible. They're a bunch of a bunch of misfit had issues and I mean Peter had anger issues. You ever been so angry that you grabbed a sword and lopped off somebody's ear? Peter did. Then they denied that Christ didn't exist. Judas sold out Jesus for a bag of cash. But our imperfection can't be a cop out to say, well, God, I, I can't do what you've asked me to do because I'm not there yet. I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. Well, let me help you out. Uh, I'll be 49 in November. And I ha- my train hadn't even left the station yet. I'm nowhere near arriving. So let me put you at ease. You ain't going to arrive. You'll get better. You'll get wiser. You'll probably repeat the same mistakes a hundred times. But you're never going to arrive. You're never going to show up. So we have to mind our manners. We have to add value to people. And the way we add value to people is simply things like this. Make things better and brighter. I won't point fingers and I don't want you to look at the person next to you, but we all know people who they are the, I have somebody, a friend of mine call them, you are the odor eaters of the world. Do you know what odor eaters do? They just, or anything that's absorbent or baking powder, soda, you know, the arm and hammer. You walk in to a room and they just suck the life out of a room, right? You can be in a room full of friends and somebody walks in, this person walk in and just like they just wet blanket. All over the, you know, don't be those people. If you want to fish and be successful, you got to add value by making things brighter, make it better. Love on people. And sometimes it's hard. The second thing is understand their world. Now, I need you to hear me on this because especially today with the climate 
in the political world and all the crazy sexual stuff going on and we don't know who's what and today I'm this and tomorrow I'm not and I have two X's, I have two Y, I have whatever you are. I can decide I'm, today I'm a tree, tomorrow I'm a cat. Today I'm a guy, tomorrow I'm a girl. I, 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 get, I get the world. But here's what we need to say. You need to understand the world, their world. And I'm not saying you approve of it. I'm not saying you say, way to go, good job. But I am saying you need to stop talking and understand their world. Understand why they think what they think. And then be able to say, well, I, I understand that's what you feel. I don't necessarily agree, but can I tell you what I, what I think? But if you're constantly telling, just stop, I can't even hear that. But, oh, no, 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 I can't listen to that. You're talking about, this, you know, that's sin. Oh, no, no. They're not going to listen to you. That you understand their world. Parents. And I'm telling you, sometimes this one's hard. It's hard for me. You want to keep an avenue into your kid's life? You better understand the world. You better understand why they do the things they do. I was talking with somebody this past Wednesday night. I have, obviously, girls. I don't have boys at my house, but I was being told by a mother that, hey, that my boys are coming home saying this about things at school, even down to how it affects what they can, what they can eat at lunch. I had no idea, guys, that that was even an issue. I'm not even going to go into it because it was way too vulgar. Like, what? But you know what? I understand now. Now I can sit down with a 16-year-old kid, a boy, and have a conversation like, I get why you feel that way. Let me give you the truth. Because I understand their world. I don't understand why people decide I'm no longer a guy, but I'm a girl. I'm no longer a girl, but I, I, I don't get it in here, but I know there's value somewhere in going, I don't feel valued. I don't feel, feel loved. Matter of fact, I read a story about a young man whose dad was the manly man, military, big, and he kept telling his son, son, be a man, you're not a man. Son, be a man, you're not a man. Son, be a man, you're not a man. Well, he goes, turns 18, goes to college. Guess what he did? Decided he wasn't a man. And when somebody, a Christian, began to share with him and go, hey, let me, let me get into your world. Why, why do you think what you did? And he told him, my dad told me all my life, I'm not a man, so I must not be a man. He began to present the love of a heavenly father and say, well, I'm sorry your dad told you that, but here's what the Bible says about you. The boy sat up and said, you're right. I, I was just making a decision because... They didn't understand that. I didn't feel valued. I didn't feel like I could be what he wanted me to be. But God obviously does. The guy's life turned around like that. Simply by somebody being willing to lean in and listen instead of point fingers and go, you're just messed up. Again, truth, it may be truth, but not helpful. That you add value. And that leads to the last one, is that your unconditional love. That's hard. Hard. I still can't figure it out. How Jesus could look down through time on the cross and look at us and all the crazy, nasty, horrible stuff, defaming God, defaming his name. You know, all of us at some point or another have just told God where he can stick it. And he's looking across time and he still said, 
no, I'm going to get on the cross because Clint's going to need this. That unconditional love. Again, I'm not saying we approve. I'm not saying we approve of people's mess, the things that are sin in their life, the things they struggle with. But I am saying I need to be able to look at them and go, I just love them because God loved me. God loved me. One of the stories that still, and again, if you've been here for years, you've heard me say this. 19, would have been about 1998. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was going to a church there. And in 1998, there was still this, people were kind of still in panic mode about HIV and AIDS. And we're in Tulsa in a big church with a lot of people. And I just happened to be sitting down front one day within earshot of the pastor. He dismissed the service and he was talking to people. And I see this man walk to the front. You could tell there was something a little different about the guy. He walks to the front, walks up to the pastor and says, Pastor? And the guy said, yeah, hey, how are you? My name is, and shook his hand. And the guy wouldn't shake his hand. He said, I, I just need you to know this. And then he paused. And like, he was obviously there to see what response would be. And he said, I'm HIV positive. I have full-blown AIDS. And I will never, ever, I can still see it in my head, that that pastor reached out. And the guy this time put his hand out like, and he took him, squeezed his hand, and then surprised him and pulled him in close and threw his arm around him. He said, I've got things wrong in my life too. Just know you're loved. The man just broke down in tears, said he had been kicked out. Get this. He had been kicked out of multiple churches because he looked and said, I got something wrong with me, and you probably can figure out how I got it. I need help. And they said, no. So in unconditional love, I was watching this pastor pull him in and say, I don't, I don't have the answers. I just know if God loves me, he loves you. I don't necessarily approve of what you're doing, how you got it, maybe things in your life. But you need to know you're loved. You understand the world. You make things brighter. And that the love is unconditional. Sometimes unconditional love is uncomfortable. And you're all going to have to face it at some point or another. But you treat people. It shouldn't be just a cliche to say treat people the way you want to be treated. Because at some time we've all been exposed and had our business shown to the world and wanted mercy and grace. And I'll never forget that day watching that pastor pull that guy in and show that guy that love was in fact unconditional. Number three, ushers, you guys can do your thing. Let me go back to that. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says this, that whatever, is, whatever a person's like, Paul writes this. He says, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me do something. It doesn't say I try to be like him. It doesn't say I try to uh, condone everything he's doing, but it says I need, to let, I need you to let me tell you about this message that I have. And that's the third one. 
The third one is we need to be wise in our message. And I'm giving you a preview for next week. Next week, I'm going to give you your message so that no longer we can say, well, I don't know what to say. No, you can go back for here until Jesus comes back and pull up our website, go to the Facebook, pull up the video, the podcast, on the message notes on live, you can save them, and it will tell you what your message is. And be wise in our message. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. He said, you must worship Christ, the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, this is what we told you, you need to be ready. You need in 30 seconds be able to tell your story. You need to be able to say, hi, my name's Clint. I was raised in a Christian home. I was an athlete, but I really didn't serve God until I got into college. And then I figured out God wanted me to, to be a pastor. So I went to undergrad. I went to my grad. I met my wife in seminary. And God has just turned my life around. And I've been fortunate enough to serve with the great, crazy bunch of people in Sylvania, Georgia, for the last 23 years. How fast was that? 15 seconds? That's all you need. Because all you're doing is open the door to go, Oh, you went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, you were in Tennessee. Oh, you, wow, you married up. <laughs> to say something in your life, and then you, then you can engage them. Peter goes on in verse 16 to say, but do this. Here's where it gets tough. Because I know I'm a pastor, and I may be your pastor, but there are times when I don't want to be gentle or respectful. Right? There are people sometimes in what they're doing and the way they're treating people and the things that are going on, I want to be rough and I want to be ugly. <laughs> but here Peter says, be gentle and respectful. Keep your conscience clear. Then when people talk about you, they can't deny that they see good because you've lived what you say you live, that you belong to Christ. Next week, I'm going to give you these three. We're going to talk about these in detail next week. What can you share? What is your message? How do you share it? Here's what you do. You share our hope. You should have seen me last year, but look at me now. You should have seen me 10 years ago before I met God. Look at me now. You should have seen me last week before I showed up at church this week. Look at me now. I have hope. I don't have it all figured out, but I have hope. The second thing is our church. Again, I've never wanted a church that's just full of Christians that don't invite people, that aren't bringing people, that a church that just punches your Sunday card and sends you home and makes you feel better. That's why we constantly tell you, bring people. That's why we do series and messages and events and youth. I'm watching the, the youth age groups and grow groups next door bringing kids every week, new kids. Adults are really putting y'all to shame. They can bring in the church. Why can't we as adults? That we share our church. Hey, I don't have the answers, but I just know when I started showing up, I felt better. Can't explain it. I just feel better. Why don't you come sit next to me? Share church. And then most of all, you need to be able, again, to look people in the eye and say, I had a debt I couldn't pay. I had to be saved. Let me tell you about my Savior. I had an issue. I couldn't fix it. Let me tell you about who saved me. I had baggage and hurt and pain from a previous relationship. People talked about me. I was hurt as a child. I was, words were just hurt, piled on top of hurt on top of me. But somebody saved me. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And 
somebody needs to know that there's somebody that's looking for him. There's a Savior looking for him. And before we pray, you can go ahead and stand up. I want to tell you what we're, what we're going to do today. I've got something special for you. I want to help you be intentional in your relationships. If you missed us a couple weeks ago, we gave you little white lifesavers. I think there's some, hopefully there's still some out on the coffee bar. You can grab one. Don't eat it. That lifesaver becomes a, a representation of the person that you're praying for, the person that you're fishing for. Today, I want to give you something else. I want to help you say, I know how to pray for this person because I'm going to give you the prayer. If they'll throw that up on the screen for me behind me here, it says, I'm going to give you, it's a little magnet that can go on your fridge. All you have to do, now how many of I'm giving you the test with the answers and instructions on the test and telling you not to forget your name to sign it at the top. I'm giving you everything, right? How many of you think you can, I can insert a name? I can put a name. I think of somebody that I know needs God, and I can put a name in there. On your way out, we're going to give you a magnet. And it says this. God, thank you for bringing, and then you say that person's name. Bring them closer to you. I pray that they will. And if they do these things, eternity is different. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. And to prove to you that your imperfections are not a cop-out, you're going to be reminded of it every time you look at it. You know why? Because there's a big, fat typo right in the middle of the magnet that's mine. I read it a thousand times. When I had to order them, I had to get them here, I had to order, and normally I give it to the person that's smarter than me, and that's usually Mabel or Melanie. Read this, and they go, oh, yeah, that can't spell that. you got to call me here, change this. And I didn't have that time, so I read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. Then I went away, came back 10 minutes later and read it and read it and read it. No, it's good. Send it. Comes in. Melanie says, what's this? I said, oh, I got the magnet. See, look. She went. It's, the magnet says this. Thank you, God, 4-4. Four, four. But I'm using it to illustrate a point. It doesn't make it any less powerful. Right? I am messed up. I went to college and went to seminary, and I didn't take Greek and Hebrew because I struggled with English. <laughs> we all have things we're not perfect in, but it doesn't make this magnet because it's got a misspelling. Melanie wanted to sit. She goes, I'm going to sit, and I'm going to mark out every one. I'll, I'll black it out, and you'll never be able to know. No. Why? Because my imperfection is not a cop-out to say we need to be fishing for somebody. Amen? Amen? Amen. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. God, I thank you this morning. That there's those in the room who say, God, I need to know you first. I don't know you, or maybe I've run from you. And if that's here today, then God, it's simply a prayer of this, that we know it's simple. Jesus, I receive you. Forgive me of my sin. And I'm going to walk with you every day. I believe it in my heart and confess it with my mouth that you are my Savior. I don't understand it all the way, but I know I need it. And we thank you for it, God. God, I thank you for every, the rest of us in the room that when we see these magnets, when we see our lifesavers, we understand, God, I'm, I'm an imperfect fisher, but I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm not good at it. Sometimes I don't do it right. But God, it doesn't make me nonetheless still willing to be obedient to you. And God, I thank you for that. Thank you for using us. 
this morning. Thank you that this week, today, when we leave, the divine intersections we walk into with people, God, like a flashing red light, show us those people and then help us go fishing. And God, we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, everybody said.